What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. Well, good morning. Welcome into Forklift Systems Football Saturday with a college football playoff. We're all set. Bowl game set. National Football Signing Day in just four days. The first one, at least, and the most important. Transfer portal getting a lot of action. Head coaching positions filling up. Others are opening. We have a lot to discuss today on Forklift System Football Saturday. Our crew will all be here today. Tony Barnhart, Charles Davis, Tom Ritter, and Coach Kevin Steele. Just a couple of quick things before we get right to Mr. College Football. The U. Miami fills their head coaching position. That, uh, that opens another top job out west, the University of Oregon. Mario Cristobal coming back to South Florida. Not a big surprise there. Well, not a big surprise that they wanted him. Maybe probably a surprise to Oregon that he left. Again, we'll discuss that as we go through. Oklahoma hires another assistant coach to be their head coach. That's a tradition for the Sooners. You know, they've only had one head football coach that was a head football coach prior to being the head football coach at the University of Oklahoma. They have seven national championships there. Every single one of them have been won by an assistant football coach who was hired, and six of them have been hired by an assistant that was moved up on the current staff. Just something to think about. Brent Venables, he'll leave Clemson. He was the defense coordinator there, and he'll go back to Norman. He was co-defensive coordinator under Bob Stoops. So all that will be on the discussion today. So what we have here, Notre Dame, LSU, Florida, Miami, Oklahoma, Southern Cal, Oregon. Am I missing some others? Well, top big-time jobs, all with big national championship aspirations and expectations, and they all have national championships except Oregon. I can't recall a year where we've had anywhere near this many programs opened. And, again, that'll be part of the discussion day. So let's get right to it. Tony Barnhart has been following college football for a <clears throat> a few years. Tony, let's, uh, let, let's start by looking back at this past week. We're going to get into all of this today, starting with the last Saturday when we were doing this show, conference championship games coming up, and – well, maybe some surprises, maybe not. Let's start, though, with the Alabama-Georgia game. That I don't know we could call it a surprise anytime Alabama wins, but certainly it, uh, it surprised some people, and I think in some ways it surprised me. Let's get into that. Uh, go back to that game just a little bit. First off, a masterful job of getting a team ready by the head coach at Alabama, not a surprise, and a, and, and a big win and, and, quite frankly, a uh, kind of a lopsided win. Yeah, it was. And uh, Nick Saban, had, again, showed why he's considered by many, including me, uh, to be the, the greatest coach, college football head coach of all time. Doug, Doug, there were two things that I got asked about the most when it came to Georgia uh, in this game. Uh and I told him, if you're Georgia, here are the two things that should concern you about Alabama. Number one, big, explosive plays in the passing game, which is where I thought Georgia was vulnerable. Well, that obviously happened. And then, 
And the other one was a little more uh, mental, psychological, whatever you want to say. I just kept wondering what would happen if Georgia fell behind. Uh, they had not been in that situation in a, against a significant opponent. And it was real. I mean, Doug, I was in the building, and honestly, Georgia jumps out 10 to nothing, and you think things are going the way that Georgia wants them to go, and they were. And all of a sudden, Alabama countered with 14 points. They're up 14 to 10. And I'm telling you, Doug, the building was about 70% Georgia, 65% Georgia, 35% Alabama. And it was like the air had gone out of the building. And from that point on, it was clear that Alabama had control of the game. Big, big, big win for Alabama. Got him in the playoffs. Well, it takes a whole team. But the, thing, the thing surprised me in this game uh, really quite, quite it, it shocked me almost was the fact that Georgia was able to get no pressure on the quarterback. Right. And just a couple things on that, Tony. First off, Georgia's defensive front uh, is acknowledged by almost everybody that follows college football, including a bunch of coaches, the best in the country. You go back and you look the week before, uh, Auburn had had uh, sacked, uh, had sacked uh, Alabama's quarterback seven times. Doug Marone. Guy who's uh, we know here in Middle Tennessee quite well, uh, offensive line coach, of course, former head coach uh, in in the pros, outstanding coach. What a great job that offensive line did, Tony. That was that was the difference. Now you can say it was the Alabama offensive line that got the job done, or it was the Georgia defensive front and maybe some defensive calls in there that didn't get the job done. But that was the difference in the ball game. I thought. No, no, quite. Listen, and after the game, Nick Saban gave credit. Doug Marone and those coaches, he said said they schemed it up nicely to help us protect our quarterback, which they had something they had obviously not done against Auburn. I mean, Doug, you just have to be honest about it. When you when you sat there and looked at that game, Georgia got outplayed and they got outcoached. And there's there's no there is no getting around that when you when you don't get any pressure on the quarterback and you're giving up big plays in the passing game. One was a busted coverage. The other deep passing play was uh, Alabama just beat beat the Georgia defender. And so when when those things happen, you have to say that Georgia got outplayed, not coached. I don't think there's any question about it. Good news for Georgia is they lost and they're still in it. Everybody yep. else that lost last week did not get in it. Let's kind of take a look. We'll start by the college football playoffs and the matchups right now. Tony, let's go back a week, though. As we entered the games last week, the college football playoff uh, poll looked like this. Georgia won. Michigan two, Alabama three, Cincinnati four, and then a couple of outside shots. Oklahoma State sitting there at eleven one. Of course, they were playing Baylor for the Big Twelve championship, and Notre Dame sitting there at eleven one. And then you had some uh, ten and two teams. Well, the thing that took all the drama out of this was when Baylor beat Oklahoma. Tony, it's a pretty mm-hmm. done deal that uh, yep. that and uh, that it was going to be that those four in all in all likelihood. Now, if Alabama would have gotten beaten, I think. I think after uh, uh, after Oklahoma State got beat, I think Alabama, even if they if they'd lost a close game, probably would have got in. But that's not where we are now. Only difference is Alabama and Georgia switch switch spots. Now it's Alabama one, Michigan two, Georgia three, and Cincinnati four. And Tony, Cincinnati, of course, the as we've kind of documented all all year long or at the last part of the year, the first non Power Five team to get in. Uh, if Oklahoma State would have won, you can have the what ifs. But quite frankly, I think once once they were in the fourth position, 
uh, it was going to be very difficult unless they got beat to get knocked out of it. Now, right. I don't know, but it really doesn't make any, any difference. But those are our matchups. You might want to comment on that, but let's kind of let's hit what we got. Number one, Alabama, they play number four in Dallas in the Cotton Bowl. And remember, folks, it's the Cotton uh, the Cotton Bowl and uh, was the first. Uh, well, let me let me kind of rephrase that here. Uh, the number one team has a choice of where they want to go. It was the Cotton and the right. Orange this year. They decided to go to the Cotton Bowl. There may be a lot of reasons, but one reason is they Alabama's been highly successful in Dallas. Right. That's a that's big recruiting territory for Alabama. The other thing that came into play, I understand, is you've got a climate controlled environment playing in the Cotton Bowl. And so weather will not be a factor uh, that they would that they would have to worry about. I think that in the recruiting angle is why Alabama wanted to play in Dallas. Alabama, Cincinnati, uh, that game is a well, I don't even get in point uh, point totals. So let's just say Alabama's favorite in that. And then number two, Michigan, number three, Georgia. And Tony, that's the interesting game to me. Uh how's Georgia gonna react? We're gonna get into something mm-hmm. they may be thinking about. Uh, but the thing I tell you, the thing about Michigan, we Michigan is a really good football team. Now, obviously, they are. They wouldn't be where they are. But uh, this is a team that that certainly uh, uh, you don't want to ever overlook any team. I don't. Georgia certainly won't be doing that. I mean, they are the number two team in the country. But I tell you, Michigan Michigan's better, I think, than maybe some folks in the Southeastern Conference think they are. Well, they're a really good football team. They rush the passer exceedingly well. They've run the ball well. The thing about this game, Doug, it is a better matchup. Georgia had real matchup problems against Alabama, particularly with Alabama's great receivers and Georgia's defensive back. Michigan, there's no question about what they want to do. They want to run the football just like Georgia. They want to run the football and play great defense. So it's a better matchup for Georgia. But this, this, I think you're right. I think this Michigan team is a, is better than people think. Georgia's going to have their hands full. It's uh, right now. I think Georgia's favored by a little bit less than a touchdown. It'll. I think that number might go down before the game play. Question will be, and by the way, we, we we're going to have a lot of time to talk about this on future shows before we get to the games actually being played on that. So we'll kind of break those down a little bit later. But uh, of course, the the question is in 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 Georgia circles, what to do at quarterback. Stetson Bennett did not have a good ball game. Uh, I don't think he was helped a whole lot. It's not always on one guy. You got JT Daniels standing there. I'm going to ask Tony about this, but by the way, Kevin Steele is going to come on with us at the bottom of the next hour, and I'm going to talk with him about this. He has some interesting thoughts about JT Daniels and uh, Stetson Bennett. But Tony, you're uh, <laughs> I know you have heard a lot about this down down in Georgia with all the Georgia folks that you know. Fans are yep. fans, but yep. uh, let's just put it this way. Uh, Coach Smart's had an opportunity to make this change, what, the last four, five, six games? Has yep. not done it. Uh, right. What do you think? Well, I, I think he's going to have – Kirby talking about a Kirby, Coach Kirby Smart has have to sit down with his staff and say, okay, what can we win, can we win this football game with Stetson as our quarterback? And if the answer is yes, they go with him. I, my belief is that they understand that they they can beat they probably can beat Michigan if they play well. If they don't listen if they don't get any pressure on the quarterback and play better, they're they're, they're not going to win. But I think he, Kirby and his staff have to take a real cold, hard, cold look at this thing and say, 
can we win the can we if we play Alabama again, can we beat them with Stetson Bennett as our quarterback? Then the other factor and the thing we don't know, Doug, is obviously is is JT Daniels 100 percent healthy to play? He has spot played in the last couple of games, but uh, they they didn't put him in when they got two touchdowns down uh, the other the other night. And so it is it's a big mystery to a lot of people. But if let's assume that JT Daniels is 100% physically ready to go. And they've got to have a contingency plan to put him in the game if if Stetson Bennett struggles. Well, let's kind of think about this, though. This is – this is uh, had a coach uh, a coach in the conference tell, bring this up to me when I was talking to him about it this past week. Uh, but this is the other thing. And just remember this. Let's remember this. I remind myself to remember this. Uh, Georgia was going to be in the national championship game or uh, excuse me, in the, in the playoffs, win or lose last Saturday. So correct. Uh, now though, uh, one loss and you're out. Will that play a part of it in, in into it? I, I, I think maybe it did last week. Now, the other part of it is this though. Uh, you have to believe Tony that, that Kirby smart knows what happened when a similar situation happened with he and Alabama on the mm-hmm. other side when Alabama changed quarterbacks, went with Tua and put Hurts on the bench. So, uh, I, I, you know, discussions with your staff is great, but this is a 100% call on the head football coach of Georgia, and it's a big call. No, there, there is no doubt. And ultimately what it comes down to, Doug, is if Georgia says, you know what, for us to win the game, We've got to take the top off the opposing defense. We've got to be able to take deep shots and be effective. And there's no question that uh, JT Daniels has more arm talent than Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett is is a steady player, moves the chains, and for every for every team that Georgia played up until this point, that was all. That's all that was needed to win because the defense is so good. Well, this is different. Alabama's Alabama's different. Michigan's different. And so uh, you're right. This is going to be – it is going to be fascinating to watch what Georgia does against Michigan. Well, I will uh, be surprised if Kirby Smart makes a change. I really will. Me too. Me too. He might. He might. But, well, uh, not, not before the game, Doug. I, I don't see this as a, a – just. Th- this looks to me like a decision that would be made in-game because the, other, because the guy you've leaned on all year is struggling. Yeah, well, I, yes, and I'm talking about before the game starts. Obviously, if uh, you know, the, this is a one and done. Now you got two games left. It's one right. and done. So uh, we'll we'll kind of see on that. Uh, kind of real quickly, let's. Uh, all right, take a break here. I want to get a break. We're going to come back, kind of finish up a few things on this. A lot to get into today, and I mean a lot to get into. Uh, don't forget, Tom Ritter uh, will be with us. Uh, NCAA moved really quickly on a a. Uh, a, a officiating situation in the championship game. I'm going to talk to Tom about that. By the way, uh, in about uh, 30 minutes now, Charles Davis will be joining us, and we're going to get into uh, a lot of these coaching moves that have been going on. we got a lot to talk about with Tony. When we come back, we're just going to take a look at what would have happened in the college football playoff if it had been expanded this year. Have a little fun with this for about five minutes or so. So stay right here with us. We'll be right back. Uh, Farm Bureau Health Plans, hey, fbhp.com. 
that's the place to go to. And, of course, now if you're in the Medicare end of it, there's a lot of things you can look at on that here at the year end. But big thing on this is this is why I decided to go with Farm Bureau Health Plans. Number one, I want I always like to do something with the local if, if at all possible, and it's possible most of the time. At the very least, statewide, state of Tennessee, was able to do both with Farm Bureau Health Plans. They're located right here in Middle Tennessee. All of your claims are processed right here in Middle Tennessee, and it's very easy to find the plans that they have there. Great people to work with. Been around a long, long time. I've been with them about five years now. And again, if you're looking to change or just talk about or find out a little bit more about your health plans, check out Farm Bureau Health Plans at fbhp.com. Plan on us. Well, are we going to expand the playoffs? Been talk about it. Four teams in right now. Uh, there was a kind of a semi-agreement between the powers that be to move it to 12, what, six, eight, 12 months ago now. That's kind of come on under a little bit of fire. But, Tony, let's kind of start uh, with that. Let's let's talk about where we are uh, in the group, uh, the committee meeting, the commissioners that are meeting and talking about it and expanding. It looked, as I mentioned, uh, no, six months or so ago, like we were going to go move to a 12, jump from a four to a 12 after the debate on that. A little bit more discussion on that, but tell us where we, where you see us standing right now in this. Well, when you, you go back, we, we had, we had had the uh, thing in place, uh, 12 team playoff, and then everything changed. Uh, there, was, there was sort of a universal agreement that that's where it was going to, it was headed. And, uh, then the news broke that the uh, Oklahoma and Texas were leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC. And since then, everything has basically fallen apart. They've had several meetings since then, and they, they cannot agree. They can, it has to be make any change to the format, the way it's structured now. It has to be a unanimous vote of the 10 FBS conferences plus Notre Dame. And they have had several meetings and they cannot get along. The issue is, quite honestly, it's the it's the ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big Ten. And they are sort of marching to their own drummer. And uh, I don't know, I don't know that it's going to get done. One more meeting left at the national championship game in Indianapolis in January, they will meet. If they I've been told if they don't come out of that meeting with a recommendation to the presidents on the format, we may not get a new playoff format until after this contract expires, and that's after the season of 2025. And so it, it is not looking good for a change. So we're actually looking at this game and then three more years, quite frankly, right? Yeah, this game in 22, 23, 24 seasons. That is correct. All right, so the deal would be done then after. So there would be, uh, if they made any change, it would be after the season. It would be for the playoffs of 2025, correct? Correct. Correct. And, and Tony, uh, kind of uh, give us just an update because you, you stay in the middle of all this. The What's been called the alliance is the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the Atlantic Coast Conference. The big difference is they, they want an automatic bid for for the the power five conference champions is that the is that the main sticking point right now that's that is the main sticking point it's not the only sticking point but it's the main sticking point the original plan the one that was put together by uh 
Greg Sankey, the uh, Greg Sankey, Bob Bowlesby, and uh, Jack Swarbrick, and that the four four person committee, they said they said, look, let's don't designate Power Five conferences. No, let's don't do that in this because here's what: when we start talking about Power Five, then Congress gets involved. They've made it clear they don't like that delineation. So let's just say the top six conferences, whoever they are, rated by the committee, those six conferences get power to get automatic bids. And that way you would have the group of five taken care of and all that. But no, really the PAC, the PAC-12 is really pushing, hey, the PAC-12 champion, no matter how bad it is, should be in the playoff. And that's, that's a sticking point. And I don't know how to get it resolved. Well, you would have to think common sense would tell you it's going to get resolved, and here's why. Let's just take this year. We got five Power Five conferences, and they they were set up what half a dozen years or so ago now to to be a, an autonomous group. The problem is this: only two of those Power Five conferences are in it this year. It makes yep. absolutely no sense if you want to get your conference in there. You go to twelve you're almost automatically going to get a conference champion into those power five right. skills almost automatically, you know, maybe, maybe if you have a, you know, only have a three loss team in your whole conference, well, you don't deserve to be there anyway. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me not, not, not to get this done. I think they're playing a, a little game of chicken on this. Uh, let's see who blinks first, but sure. Tony, everything that you have told me and I've heard from other folks, Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, I think you can throw Notre Dame's athletic director in there also. I don't right. think they're going to blink on this. They're saying we're going to twelve, period, and uh, this, this they're not going to they're not going to blink on the having an automatic uh, an automatic uh, slot held for a Power Five conference school. Yeah, they're not going to blink blink on that at all, and uh, it's it's gonna it's gonna be fascinating. And there are other factors like you know, multiple people involved in the bidding process and all that. I think those things can be resolved. And Doug, let's be, let's be honest about it. One of the big issues here, nobody's going to say this out loud, is that those three conferences that make up the alliance got their nose out of joint when the SEC had the audacity to bring in Texas and Oklahoma. They figured they they feel like SEC is trying to take over the world, which is not the case. They're just trying to improve themselves. And uh, it's, it's, you know, that, that, that is a big part. It's ego. It's a big part of why this is going on. Well, and, and, and one quick thing we'll end on this cause probably isn't really interesting to a whole lot of people, but you look at the big 10, you look at the PAC 12, look at the ACC, those three commissioners there, all the, 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 the one, you know, two of them have, have, have had a commissioner there two years and the other just one year. So, you know, that's uh they don't have a whole lot to go with them. A Big Ten as a power power conference, Pac-12 has no. nothing, and the ACC has uh, 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 almost nothing there. So, anyway, we'll kind of stay up on that. All right, Tony, real quick, let's do this. What if? What if we had uh, we had a twelve-team playoff this year? Kind of, and and we'll go under the current proposal, which is this: six highest-ranked conference champs get automatic bids uh, for the the highest uh, for. Four of the four, excuse me, highest ranked conference champions to get a buy in the first round. Kind of hit us real quick. Give me about three minutes of this. Uh, what would the playoffs look like if they started today among the eight teams of the 12 who would be playing today? 
Right. Well, let's let's start here. First of all, who, who would be the four conference champions that would get uh, buys in the first round? Because that that would be a very important point. And four highest rated conference champions this year were Alabama at one, Michigan Big Ten at two. Uh, Georgia would not be in there because they would not be a conference champion. So throw Georgia out. Cincinnati of the AAC and Baylor of the Big 12. So that would those would be your four teams to get a bye in the first round. They would not play. Uh, everything that we have heard has told us that the, the playoff under this format would probably start the third Saturday in December. In other words, you play your conference championship games on the first Saturday in December, take two weeks, then play the first round of the playoffs. And if, if that's what we did with four, those four con- conference champions as buys, then that means seeds five through 12 would play in the first round on campus. Those games would be number 12 Pittsburgh, the ACC champion against number five Georgia in Athens, number 11 Utah, the Pac-10-12 champion at number six Notre Dame, number 10 Michigan State of the Big Ten at number seven Ohio State, get a rematch there, and number nine, Oklahoma State, at number eight, Ole Miss. And that would be your first round played on campus. Then the four winners of those games would advance to the next round to play the teams that got buys in the first round. So then you would have the Oklahoma State Ole Miss winner would play Alabama, the number one seed. I'm saying these would be in bowls again to keep the bowls intact. Michigan State, Ohio State winner would play Michigan. I've got that in the Fiesta Bowl. Utah Notre Dame winner, uh, which was your number 11, number six seed, they would play Cincinnati, uh, the third seed, and Pittsburgh and Georgia winner would play against Baylor in the Cotton Bowl. Then the semifinals would be right around January 8th or Monday, January 10th. Those would be in the Sugar Bowl and the Rose Bowl based on the format and the national championship game. I've got the national championship game Monday, January 24th in Indianapolis. The question somebody's going to ask is, why aren't you playing these games on Saturday? Real easy answer. Because once January 16 gets here, the NFL is playing on Saturday. And the first rule of college football is you do not go head-to-head with the NFL. That, that's the way it would look. And if, if, if chalk held, then number one Alabama would play number two Michigan in Indianapolis this year. Be kind of fun. Well, you've been looking at this a long time, Tony. Uh, since we talked about expansion, heck, let's go all the way back before we had a playoff. <laughs> it went all that long ago. Quite frankly, it, you know, you had a two-team playoff essentially for the national championship. One and two played. Uh, for the longest time. Then we went to the playoff, which I think everybody really likes, uh, you know, 14 playoff. Uh, Best guess, uh, we're eventually going to get to 12. It's not going to be between 4 and 12, but best guess on when you think this will come into effect. I, Doug, quite honestly, I think 2024 is possible, but not likely uh, based on everything that I'm, I'm hearing. Uh, because the because the alliance conferences are so intransigent. I mean, listen, I, I can tell you this right now. I've had this conversation with Greg Sankey. They're either going to stay at four or they're going to twelve. 
All right. Now, there may be some wiggle room on these conference champions, but what uh, Greg Snakey has made it abundantly clear. There's no way he is voting for an 18 playoff. I think the earliest it can possibly happen is 2024. I'm not op- totally optimistic now based on everything I've heard and read that'll happen then. Well, there's one key factor in this, and uh, I'm sure this will be something that will probably bring everybody to the table. We don't know exactly what adding the, uh, six more teams, excuse me, uh, eight more teams will bring. But we know this. It's going to bring a lot more money in. And, Tony, when it's yep. all said and done, that's probably going to be the deciding factor, would it not? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And everybody understands it's, it's for the good of the game. There's a lot more money to be made. And uh, it, it, it is a huge game of chicken right now between uh, the Alliance conferences and everybody else. Well, I won't go as far as to say it's for the good of the game. <laughs> but there certainly is a lot more money to be made there, and that will probably play a factor. All right, take a break. When we come back, uh, going to just kind of hit what a season for the Southeastern Conference might be might be the best season ever. In my memory, there's no question. I don't go, you know, I go, well, I go back far enough. Tony and I are going to talk about that when we come back. A great year for the Southeastern Conference and everybody involved. As we go to break, let me talk to you about my old buddy, Larry Smitto's place. And I should say places. He's got a bunch of them. He's got five of them right here in Middle Tennessee. He's got three more up in Knoxville, others around the South. Strike and Spare Family Entertainment. And Strike and Spare tells you what it is. It's bowling, right? And Family Entertainment tells you what it is. It's family entertainment, not only bowling, but they got a lot of other things that they do to make it a family fun time. Bowling, as I mentioned, games, food, drink, entertainment for all ages. So listen, if you're trying to get your family together for the holidays and are looking for something nice to do, or you can sit, you know, the great thing about bowling is you can sit around and talk, you know, kind of like a baseball game. Somebody's up bowling if you want to watch them fine. If not, you can talk until your time comes up. But it's also great for maybe a corporate party this time of year or any time of the year, fundraising events, maybe a reunion. Maybe you want to get together with some teammates or just some friends. They have it at Strike and Spare. All their locations are open seven days a week. That includes holidays, by the way. And there's never a bad time for a good time at Strike and Spare Family Entertainment. Check them out at strikeandspare.com. Well, the Southeastern Conference has been around since 1933. But at 90 years, Tony Barnhart's been following a lot of those years. I've been following probably a little bit more, uh, not, not all of them, but... Tony, uh, give me your thoughts on uh, this year. Uh, 14 teams, 11, uh, well, 13 of them are going, have qualified and going to bowl games. We got two teams that are playing the college football playoffs, two of the four, 50%. We got another team, Old Miss, that's going to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, pretty darn good year. Have you, have you seen one even more so? And, and even added to that, you kind of go back and look. We had a lot of really competitive, fun games to watch. It was a ton of good games to watch all year long. You think you think back to the what the fifty-two to fifty-one game uh, involving Arkansas uh, and Ole Miss. Uh, you think about the Alabama Texas A&M game, uh, the 
And then, the, oh, the Auburn, the Auburn-Alabama game. I mean, my goodness, <laughs> what, a, what a crazy game that was. So it was a great year of great competition. Coming off the COVID year, we, we didn't know quite what to expect with the, with the fans back. But when you put it all together, you know, 13 out of 14 teams qualified for bowls. That's, that's unprecedented. Two teams in the college football playoff for the second time. It happened in 2017, another team. And so out of the six New Year's uh, bowls, six New Year's Day bowls, Alabama's got a team in three of them. I mean, Georgia's uh, SEC's got a team in three of them. It's just been an absolutely incredible year. All the bowl games, by the way, start, the SEC bowl games at least, start December 22nd. Of course, we'll be talking about those uh, next week. By the way, uh, just to let you all know, uh, kind of looking forward a little bit, we will have a show next week. Christmas and New Year's this year is on a Saturday. We will not be doing a show on Saturday, nor will there be a recorded one. I will be doing a show uh, on, uh, on, uh, on New Year's Day because we'll have so much to talk about on that. So uh, just kind of a little future planning on that. And, and, Tony, you look at it, four new coaches in the league. Uh, we had four coaches in their second year, which, without rehashing all of it, since last year was a COVID year, it was almost like the first year. So over mm-hmm. half of the 14 teams had new coaches. Uh, we're going to have a couple of new coaches next year because a couple have been let go. Uh, and the other uh, the other four coaches uh, that had four plus years, five plus years of experience, really had really good years. So all in all, all in all, it, it was good. And as you mentioned, we got two teams, Alabama and Georgia. They're in the college football playoffs for the second time. And as you look at it right now, Tony, uh, and you kind of look around the country a little bit, but look at it right now. Clearly, Alabama, Georgia. The last three or four years have been the, or five years have been the two teams. LSU's kind of jumped in there, but you're starting to look around now and you see that there are uh, other other teams, programs. One of the things that I thought really stood out in this year is yes, the top teams, the, the two top teams are still really good, but boy, almost every other program has really has moved up a couple have not you know florida had a down year i don't think anybody mm-hmm. believes that's going to last very long but this league's getting more competitive and i think it's going to get even more competitive when you put in the transfer portal which several of the teams took advantage of and the fact that uh, that you, you now are uh, the the salaries and the money that's being paid to the assistance in this league is so well huge quite frankly well, and when you when you when you look at it, look, let's just take the SEC East. Uh, you'd have to say that Tennessee and Josh Heupel are in going upward. Uh, things are looking good there. South Carolina had a couple of big wins at the end of the year. Absolutely hammered Florida uh, in Columbus. You have to feel good about that. Um, Kentucky, Kentucky got a chance to win ten games uh, again this year. We know about Georgia. You're right. Florida's got a new coach in there. Very, very excited. Uh, Missouri, I think their program, I think they were a little disappointed in this season, but you'd have to say their program is doing well. And from everything I'm hearing about recruiting, they're going to do well on the uh, on the early signing period. So the point is, the conference is getting, uh, getting better. What's going to happen at LSU? I, I don't think they'll be down very long. Sam Pittman at Arkansas, Mike Leach, Lane Kiffin. On and on. The point is, a lot of good coaches have come into this league, Doug, and there's going to be moving forward. There's a lot of teams 
that are going to be a factor uh, for years to come. Again, three teams, uh, three teams going to major bowls. Uh, we got two, two going, two going to college football playoff, and an old Miss going back to the Sugar Bowl. And there was, did I? Uh, if, I, I know that they they picked this. Did I miss who? Who was the SEC coach of the year this year? Kirby. I don't think I don't think I've seen it. Uh, I don't think I, I don't think I have seen it. They picked the national coach of the year. I know uh, right. Coach Harbaugh, right. which I to me that's he deserves it. Awfully tough to pick that, but uh, there there were a lot of uh, for Southeastern Conference. There's a there's a bunch of them that was there. Tony, uh, give me a real quick uh, thought on this before we take a break and get Charles Dave. Charles Dave's going to be joining us. We're going to be getting into the, a lot of the moves that have been made in college football. New coaches hire. Hires the NCA Constitution Committee uh, that is put together to. We know we're going to have, a, depending on who you listen to, we're going to have a major upheaval in what the NCA, how it's going to be constructed. Uh, they met on Tuesday. Uh, they released their latest draft on this. Uh, I'm going to get into some of this. I call it gobbledygook. I'm going to. I'm going to go yeah. over. I, I got a copy right here of the talking points that they went over on this. This is based on membership feedback, by the way. Uh, and they're talking about making several revisions to the draft of the Constitution. But just overall, uh, regardless, folks, of what your thinking is about the NCAA, and, and it's all over the board, but, boy, it, it doesn't seem like we're getting much closer to having some type of solution to all the problems that the NCAA has has has, uh, has been facing. Uh, the 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 defeat at uh, in in the uh, the defeat in legislation by the Congress, uh, the defeat uh, in in the, the Supreme Court, a thrashing, has really put the NCAA almost out of business right now. But give right. me where, where do you see it right now, Tony? I, I, Doug, I, the way I see it, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in this process at all. I don't think the NCAA is – the NCAA as we have known it is, is over. And I think the, the, the Power Five conferences or some group, subset of that, is going to have to come up with their own legislative body, their own rules, their own – in other words, I think you got to start completely over. I don't think you can sit here and make adjustments here and adjustments there and argue about this. It, this is – to me, they've got to do something much more radical. And that is basically starting over. But I, I don't have any confidence at all in this process. Well, let me just let me just hit. Now, th- this is this is what they talked about, and th- this is you know it's it's almost like some of the other topics that we hear going on in the nation right now. It doesn't really have a whole lot to do with making changes. Let's talk, let me just hit a couple of them. They had fourteen talking points on this. All right, here's here's here here are I'm just going to give you a few of them. Combining the concepts of institutional control and compliance to minimize redundancy. Now, what in the hell does that mean, right? That was one of the talking points. Another, explicitly uh, stating that the board also will consult the divisional bodies on its evaluation of the NCAA president. Noting the student-athletes voting member on the board will represent all three divisions. Changing the process for amendments to constitutional—all these things have absolutely nothing to do 
with the problems on that. And that's what we right. got on this thing. And, and, uh, it's, this thing's going to fall apart one of these days. I think that they will, uh, and I think most people will be very happy about it. So anyway, well, the NCAA has always been process oriented and not problem, not a problem solving body. And that, it, that just absolutely infuriates people and, and it should. So again, I don't, I don't have any confidence that they're going to come to any kind of resolution that's going to work. Interesting. All right. We'll take our last break. When we come or not our last break, last break this hour. Charles Davis will be with us when we come back. We're going to look at all these changes in coaches. We're also going to talk with Charles about uh, uh, some of the really uh, big hires and what they mean to programs that have been struggling a little bit. I'll tell you this. The one thing that uh, the one thing that Michigan did, you know, Michigan is one of those programs we've been looking. We've got four, five, six nationally, traditionally blue blood programs that haven't been doing so well. Michigan was one of those. Well, Jim Harbaugh is is kind of put to rest, including a guy, uh, some of the criticisms he's been receiving from a guy that does an SEC network show on how bad he is. Uh, I think other programs are heading the right direction, too. We'll we'll talk with Charles and Tony about that. Tony will stay with us uh, when we come back. Uh, Delta Dental of Tennessee. Hey, do you have dental insurance? I'm not going to get into everything that's happened to me in the past, but Hey, when I was working for somebody else, I had dental insurance. When I owned my own business, I had dental insurance. Self-employed, didn't have it. Needed to find the plan that was right for me and my family at that particular time. And Delta Dental, that was who I checked out and went with because they have a myriad of individual plans. One that was just right for me and my family. That includes a couple of free, uh, well, they're not free, but they don't cost anything after you pay for the insurance, but two free cleanings, two free exams. We have learned over the past year or so the very important uh, and the importance of oral health is closely tied to our overall health. Bottom line is this. If you need an individual plan or a plan for your family, check these folks out. They, they are outstanding. It's Delta Dental of Tennessee, Delta Dental TN. Dot com. I was informed during the break that Kirby Smart indeed did win, or did indeed win, whichever the correct grammar is. I was never, I didn't make very good grades in English when I was in high school. Certainly didn't in college, by the way. Uh, and Kirby Smart was the SEC Coach of the Year. All right, let's bring on, uh, well, he's not our, although he did coach a little bit. I don't think he was ever Coach of the Year. He's done a lot of other things, but he's in the, <laughs> man of the year for old number 22 charles davis tony barnhart's on with us so don't say anything badly about him but how are you where are you kansas city did you tell me i'm doing well coach appreciate it yes i am in kansas city um but going back to the english and grammar and all that (laughs) there i had a teammate at tennessee that one time was 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 on a pretty good diatribe and was pretty much having his way with the english english language and I finally said, "Hey, man, <laughs> you 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 are crushing our language." And know what he said to me? He said, "Hey, man, you just shut up. I know I don't talk so good, but you know everything I'm saying, don't you?" And that ended that. We were good. <laughs> he was communicating, Charles. He was, and, and you know, hey, Tony, 
from that moment on, I was like, you know something? He makes a lot of sense because it wasn't that I didn't understand what he was saying. It was just how he would, he, and he's like, hey, you, you just stay out of it. I'm going to say, say how I want to. That's right. You know, that's one. And, of the- and you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's one of the. Uh, oh. Maybe we'll have a discussion about uh, uh, about that one of these days. All right, hey, I want to get right into this. Uh, let's talk about a lot of moves, Charles. Uh, and I'm I probably miss some, Tony. But Notre Dame, LSU, Florida, Miami, Oklahoma, Southern Cal, all multiple national championship winners. Oregon, who I don't think ever won a national championship, but they certainly been the running for all all new coaches this year. Salary's going through the roof. Uh, let's kind of start with that. Kind of interesting to me, Charles, of that group, and, of course, I was always an assistant coach, so I always look at that. Notre Dame and Oklahoma hire assistants. Everybody else hired hired a sitting head coach from somewhere else on that. But, Charles, kind of start wherever you want to on that. But, boy, that, I, 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 I don't think there's ever been a year we've had this many big top traditional blue blood jobs open up no i can't think of a year where it's been this many i mean this is this is off the charts coach and i heard you and tony talking on in the last part sometimes patience is rewarded and you're talking about michigan jim harbaugh sometimes staying the course is the better way of action although let's be honest about it fans want the winning coach but as soon as they think there's a chance to go through a coaching hire and go through the whole thing, it's like fantasy football. They love it. It's like it's like preparation for the draft where you're talking about could be, should be, measurables, this, that, and everybody could, gets a chance to weigh in. They like that. But that's horrible for programs if you're going through it too many times. Michigan, to their credit, did not get cowed by being 0-5 against Ohio State, did not get cowed by – negative press for their coach out there because look if I just put it on the table and his brother John he may punch me in the face when I see him when when I have Baltimore now Jim's just not likable (laughs) so so that's where the issue really comes in it's not as much internally with his team and his coaching and that it's how Jim chooses to present himself to us on the outside world and that's his prerogative he doesn't have to be you know, the greatest guy ever. He doesn't have to be hail fellow well met. That's not what he thinks is his issue. His issue is how do I get my team ready to play? And it paid off for Michigan. So Michigan with Ward Manuel as their athletic director and all the school president and board of trustees, they stayed the course. But Tony will tell you, I'm pretty sure about this. Fans were a little, little wrestles back there. And if, they had, sure. if they had bounced Jim, I don't think they would have. There would have been a huge outcry against it because fans kind of like going through the process of getting a new head coach. It's a weird phenomenon, but give Michigan credit. But coach Tony, the amount of guys we have here, and I'll leave it with this: Notre Dame had an inkling Brian Kelly was restless and looking to go. I'm convinced that Jack Swarbrick, that their athletic director, did massive homework throughout the season and evaluated his own staff while Brian Kelly was the coach, and that's why Marcus Freeman is the head coach there now. Right, yeah. There, there, is, no, there is no doubt that Jack Swarbrick knew what was coming with Brian Kelly, and he had been looking around, talking to the players, talking to the other administrators, and you, you notice that it didn't, it didn't take very long to name Marcus Freeman as the head coach at Notre Dame. 
It was not a protracted process. And it's gonna be a fascinating, fascin that is gonna be a fascinating hire to watch and Brian Kelly at LSU is gonna be a really fascinating mm -hmm. thing to watch. Charles, that's, uh, do this. You, uh, Tony knows well about this too. I'm, I'm gonna to talk to Kevin Steele about this a little bit too because he coached with Mario Cristobal. This seems like a, uh, a great hire uh, for a program that's really been searching to make a great hire. Cristobal going back to to uh, Miami, played there. I think he coached there. I'm not sure about that. From there, and one of the things, and again, when Kevin comes on, he's going to talk about this. One of the really top head coach recruiters in America. Big, big, big get. And surprising, I, I've, I've talked to several coaches around this league at least, surprising that he took the job simply because of Oregon, Phil Knight, you're one or two in the big uh, – uh, out there in the Pac-12, you know, uh, and uh, got a program really established there. What do you think? The, do you know what do you think the main reasons why he went back home, or was it just to, to go back to Miami? I've heard that it was obviously Miami had its tug and that's your alma mater. I've heard family, heard mom back there wanting to be closer, et cetera. I've heard that. You remember, Coach, and I'm not changing it. I opined last week. If I were him and I'm sitting there, I don't know I make that move. I think I stay yeah. at Oregon. I think that you've got everything you need there. We know that. They've proven that they have enough pipelines to get players that they need. You're going to compete for the Pac-12 championship year in and year out out there the way things are going. And, in fact, they have a, a stranglehold on the north right now because Washington has to get off the deck with a new head coach. Stanford seems to be receding as we speak. Hopefully Coach Shaw can get it back going again because he's one of my favorites out there. But they had a really rough year this year, and this has really been a two-year kind of fallback for them. So now you're wondering, okay, what's going to happen out there? And I don't see anyone else in, that, in the North that really can challenge him right now. So I was very surprised by that. I think you're right about it being a, a kind of a home run hire for Miami. But we thought Mark Richt was a home run hire for Miami. Manny Diaz had a lot of great qualities that brought him back there after what was it, Tony, three weeks at Temple, <laughs> you know, yeah. all, all of those things. So I'm a little bit on, uh, count me slightly skeptical, but I will say this, Coach, one point that you made really is rattled through my head, Tony, is when he said that he's one of the better head coach recruiters in the country. And when I heard that, you know who it reminded me of immediately, and I know there's a little bias here, is Coach Phil Fulmer at Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Because when Coach Fulmer was at Tennessee and was rocking and rolling, look, when you make a movie and every other coach in the country is, is terrified when you show up to recruit a kid, that tells you how you were. Now, yeah, movies are movies. But the truth was, if Coach Fulmer showed up, it was a big deal because he really got after it in recruiting. And I think that's what Coach, uh, coach uh, Matthews is saying about Mario Cristobal. No, there, there's, there's no question that they, just like Howard Snellenberger did, in 1980, he sat in a staff room and took the bottom half of Florida, drew a line across the bottom half of Florida and said, this is the state of South Florida. We're not letting anybody get out of here. And they backed it up. The question that I have, CD and coach, is this. The world has changed a lot since the U was the U. Okay. The world has Recruiting has changed. Uh, NIL, uh, transfer portal on and on and on. And, and somebody said the other day, well, you know, the Miami guys don't, didn't care about facilities and, and that may have all been true, 
back in the 80s and 90s and early 70s. They didn't care about facilities or the thing and the, you know, where they played the game and not playing in the Orange Bowl and on and on. They care about it now. <laughs> they care about that kind of stuff now. And I still I still believe the facilities issue and the fact that you got to drive 45 minutes from campus to play your home games, those things are factors when you're recruiting against Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, Florida. Those are real world issues. So I, I'm I'm a little skeptical myself. Well, let me tell you what hasn't changed. What hasn't changed is this. Mario Cristobal can get in his car and can drive an hour east, west, and north. Well, maybe he can't drive east, but you get my point. And recruit 20 great football players every single year. Uh, that's what has not changed. And this is what uh, coaches who recruit against them and who know that program very well have said. I'm going to talk to Kevin about this when he comes on. Listen, the, uh, the university – was embarrassed by the way that the football program acted during those big years. And they changed. I don't know. I'm not saying they're going to go back to that. I don't believe they will, but they put some pretty heavy restrictions on there uh, in, in their recruiting process on that. There are just too many really good athletes. I, I mentioned this a few shows ago uh, when Miami, it was the early two thousands came to Knoxville and played Tennessee. I was at the ball game. I got a program and I looked 56 of their travel squad players. I don't remember if they brought 65, 70, how many they brought. But 56 of those players were either from Dade County or a county that would touch Dade, Dade County. And, Charles, that's one thing that hasn't changed. There are still a lot of great football players down there. I, I, I agree with you totally, Coach. They just got to make sure they lock those down because, as you know, the rest of the country comes foraging in there as well. And a lot of them have made pretty good inroads. So the days of staying home and playing for the U when all those guys banded together and decided to do that. Remember, that was, that was to me, Tony, tell me how crazy I am. To me, that was the early line, let's get together as a group and do this thing. Because mm -hmm. what people keep forgetting is the University of Miami is private. So kids don't grow up going, hey, the U, that's our school, all right? It's a different ball game. But when that group, the Irvins and all those guys got together and went and played, High Smith, et cetera, now you've opened it up to where kids go, oh, that's cool. Let's go there. Hey, cool. that. Yeah. They've got to find a way to get that done again. He's going to need that signature class right out of the gate, kind of like Coach K's class that, that got him going at Duke and, you know, all those sort of things. You need that group to come together and say, this is okay. This is cool here. All that other stuff, don't worry about it. We're gonna go. We're gonna go play. Blah blah blah, because everyone else we know who's in the who's in the college football playoff, they've got kids from that area playing for them and playing pretty well for them. I mean, it's just kind of how the whole thing works. There's just so much talent there. They want the best. They got to pull it off and, and kind of bind it together. Right. Well, Mario Cristobal proved it. Listen, Mario Cristobal goes to Oregon with the intent of a installing an SEC football program on the West Coast. And that's exactly what he did. He went out and recruited, uh, you know, great players on the line of scrimmage, and he did all those things. And I think he can do it at Miami. But there's some real-world things that Miami has got to overcome. A lot of great players. But as you said, Charles, you got to get them. You got to get the, you got to get the kids that Georgia wants and Florida wants 
and Ohio State wants. And you, know, you got to beat you got to beat those schools for those kids. Well, hey, one- coach, real quick, coach, real quick, with Tony to prove Tony's point, I hope it helps prove it. Just remember when the draft rolls around, the name Kayvon Thibodeau. Mm. That if that's not an SEC looking cat playing on Saturdays out in the Pac-12, I'll eat my hat. Because every time I watched him play, I was like, oh my god, that's an SEC defensive end outside linebacker. That's him. And that's what that's what he was putting together out there. That's what he had going. Well, here here's what happened down there. New new chancellor president, whichever one they call it down there. Bush Jones was brought in, or Bush Davis, excuse me, not Bush Jones, excuse me. Bush Davis was brought in to kind of clean up that part of it. He did. Yep. Mark Rick, Manny Diaz. But uh let me just say this about those three guys. And Mark Rick at the end of his career. Let's 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 the reason that Mark Rick didn't stay at Georgia. Uh, was because of the recruiting aspect. They're bringing a cat in now that knows how to recruit and will recruit. Uh, I'm betting. I'm betting Miami gets back quickly. Now it's going to take a little bit of time, but it gets back quickly. Charles, uh, pick just a couple of these. Uh, uh, let's go with Oklahoma. Brent okay. Venables, uh, of course, he was a co-defensive coordinator there. Left and went to uh, uh, to Clemson. Had a phenomenal. Phenomenal run there as defensive coordinator. Every every bit as important as, as the quarterbacks that they had there, and they had some great quarterbacks with that great defense. Uh, interesting hire. Interesting hire. It's it, it's a hire that that's based on they knew him from before, and they've always had their eye on him. The whole country's had their eye on him. But you mentioned money earlier and where we're going with salaries and all. Don't forget it. It trickled down on the big programs to the assistant coach salaries, too. So Brent Venables would have been a head coach years ago, maybe at a Mac school, right? Maybe an AAC, you know, places like that. But when you start making $2 million a year or more as a coordinator, you're not taking that Mac job or the, the, the other job. You're staying there as a coordinator. So that's why I want I keep telling my friends who keep going, why that assistant? We could have got, I said, whoa, 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 whoa. He could have been a head coach, but he decided, hey, and he was smart. The money's way better here. So I think as they knew him from back in the Oklahoma days, they trusted him to keep things on track the way that they were going. And let's face it, Coach Bob Stoops is wielding a heavy hand there. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's a good thing. Coach Stoops is there and he vouched for him. And that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good yeah. point on that. You mentioned that, uh, and Tony kind of hit this, and then Charles, you jump in. You 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 mentioned uh, uh, you mentioned him leaving Clemson. Uh, Dabo Swinney's been very fortunate. He's he's had two coordinators there a long, long time. He is now Tony facing what Nick Saban's had to face. Both his coordinators now are leaving and taking head jobs, and who you hire is so very, very important because you make you make a little off hire, and we've seen it happen in other places. You can get hurt on that. And everybody talking about. It. By the way, I just want to throw this out: how Clemson, how boy, they've really fallen. They they lost three games this year. <laughs> you know, they, the world they, was to Georgia. <laughs> yeah, they, they lost three games this year. Anyway, having said that, though, he's now facing what uh, what what Coach Saban's had to face at Alabama. Yep, been very very. You know, stability has been the hallmark of this nice run. By Dabo Sweeney and Clemson, and now they gotta, now they gotta make some changes. And but you, you know what, Doug, I, I, Coach, I've heard you say this many, many times. There's a lot of really good football coaches out there, 
And I, I feel I feel confident that Dabo will do very, very well when he hires his new coordinators. Well, you all have heard me say this, and Charles, you can pick up on this and talk about Clemson if you want to, but here's what's changed in college football. Charles alluded to it a little while ago, and, and this is what the, the, the Dabo Sweeney's, the Nick Saban, the Kirby Smarts, the Mario Cristobal's, there's others out there. They now know and they realize that they have to be the recruiter. So you can hire coordinators yeah. now that maybe aren't outstanding recruiters. They don't have to be because the, the outstanding recruiter of the top programs is the head football coach. And Dabo Sweeney is one of those. So, you know, you, you're only looking for play callers offensively and defensively. That's what you're looking for. And that may play into what, what I'm hearing. Tony helped me out as always. I'm hearing he, both hires for Dabo may come from within staff that he may go the loyal route. I've heard defensive coordinator already on staff. I can't pull his name. I apologize for that. But you remember Brandon Streeter, the old quarterback at Clemson? Mm -hmm. That's the hot name to be promoted to offensive coordinator. So that makes Coach's point right there. I keep stability. I've got the guys on my staff who know what I want. I know I'm the face of the deal. Now, what's very, what's very interesting about it is I just read it this morning. Was it two or three of their top defensive player recruits have decommitted for the moment at Clemson? So now you've got to go back and re-recruit them. Here's yeah. guy. It's not, it doesn't mean that they're not coming to Clemson, but you know kids nowadays, they love exactly. to tell you that they've reopened and, and now we get another tour across America. Yep. Kind of like that quarterback at Ohio State, you know. He's on like his eighth tour, eighth tour of America right now to see, to, see, to see the world. Was it Quinn Ewers or whatever his name is? I mean, he hadn't, hadn't thrown a pass in college football yet, and he's getting recruited for like the eighth time. So, right. more power to him. Well, I, I tell you what's, what's interesting is, is, is that it sounds just like Nick Saban. You know, it, we're going to run our system regardless of who, who, who it is, and whoever I bring in is going to run the Alabama system. And so the, you set yourself up for continuity. I was thinking about Sam Pittman. Sam Pittman did that at Arkansas when he was looking for – he goes and gets Kendall Bryles and gets Barry Odom. He turns it over to them. He is the, uh, the leader of the organization and the head recruiter at Arkansas. And, and that's going to work out well for them. Yeah. By the way, we got to go on this, but just uh, think, talk about decommitments. Boy, Oklahoma – well, they lost. I think they've lost four or five star commitments, and not only they lost them, <laughs> they've lost. Did they all go to SC? Uh, three of them did, and the four. I don't know where the. <laughs> so, hey guys, out of time. Great job. Uh, we'll talk uh, next week. Yes, you guys take care and go Army, be Navy, and go Army, be Navy. My dad was in the Army, so yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, remember this guy's coach Neil at the Navy. This yeah. may be his last game today. Keep an eye on that. Yeah, I've, I've heard that same thing. All okay. right, you guys be good. All right, we'll talk. Uh, Tony, thanks so much. See you all next week. Uh, when we come back, Tom Ritter will be joining us. Wilson Bank and Trust, Middle Tennessee's Community Bank. 28 locations, uh, nine Middle Tennessee counties, and they are a community bank. Well, they're Middle Tennessee's Community Bank. That's who I bank with. Went, been with them now several years. And you know what? The great thing about community banks is this. They know you. They're part of your community. All 28 of these locations in nine Middle Tennessee counties, they're part of the community there. So when you walk in, like most likely, they either know you, know your family, 
Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad, right? But bottom line is this. If you need a decision made, they can make it right there. They don't have to run it up the flagpole down to Memphis or up outside the state somewhere and have to have it signed off on. They can make that decision right there. Great people to work with, community people, over 500 employees, 40-plus years of doing this. Check them out. Middle Tennessee's Community Bank, Wilson Bank and Trust, that website, wilsonbank.com. Tom Ritter joins us in addition to being an SEC uh, referee, an outstanding one. He also was in charge of, uh, the, I think, the very first replay booth uh, when they went back to the uh, on-site, or not on-site, off-site down in Birmingham. So if you have any complaints, just remember the guy that probably made the call on it was Tom Ritter. Maybe he made the wrong call on your team. So just kind of wanted to get out there. Tom, you can thank me for that. How are you? Yeah, thank you very much, Doug. I appreciate that uh, introduction. Uh, doing well. Doing very well. All right, kind of interesting. Uh, folks, if you've been listening this year, Tom's done just a phenomenal job of ex- explaining calls that were made during ball games, and also uh, what we're going to continue trying to do. One of the reasons that I really uh, was was happy to get uh, Tom on the show was to kind of explain the rules. You know, sometimes we say, why did that happen? Well, there's usually a reason why it happened, and the great majority of times the call is exactly right. Did they make mistakes? Absolutely. Uh, should we have an opportunity to hear from officials? Well, a couple of years ago we thought we were after a ball game. For some reason that's been put on hold. Uh, we'll talk about that in future shows. But, Tom, kind of interesting to me, uh, we had an incident. I'm going to let you explain it uh, in, 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 the, uh, in the Atlantic Coast Conference championship game. Uh, that, uh, well, you get into it, but I I just want to say this, that rule, or maybe it was a clarification, came down. It happened last Saturday. Steve Shaw, who's the head of uh, all the officials for the, uh, in in college football, the national group, that thing was, was, uh, was fixed this week. Uh, Talk about quick, but kind of hit that real quick and and tell what happened. All, All had to do with a quarterback trying to, well, I would say fake a slide. Tell us what happened. Tell us why it was changed. And then, again, the speed with which all this happened. Right. Uh, Doug, the play, uh, the quarterback uh, decided, after looking to pass the ball, decided to run it downfield. And he was well beyond the, the line of scrimmage. And the rule is if the quarterback slides uh, feet first, then the ball is dead as soon as he starts to slide. And what this quarterback did was he, you know, started, it appeared like he started to intentionally slide, but then did not. And the crew did not uh, blow the ball dead and he advanced I think for a touchdown, if not for a long first down. So uh, while it, while that specific instance was not in the rule book, it certainly uh, you know was uh, was a situation where you know it, it, it's just not it's just not part of the game from a from a standpoint of, of fairness and equity. And so, like you mentioned, uh, we get periodically. Uh, 
rulings and they're called approved rulings uh, from the national coordinator who is Steve Shaw. And this week he sent out uh, a, a bulletin that had two plays on it. One of them was the Pittsburgh play where, uh, you know, he describes the play and then he gives a, a ruling that, that needs to be followed. And the ruling was, of course, if the quarterback starts his slide in any form or fashion, then the ball should be declared dead. And uh, so that, you know, I, I think everybody, you know, who viewed the game or saw the responses uh, from people, the media and everybody else seemed to think and, and correctly so that, that that should be the rule. And, and it will now be in the next year's rule book, it will be specifically stated that that uh, causes the ball become dead. And then the second play, Doug, is interesting play because we talked about this earlier in the year. Second play that Steve sent out was from an FBS playoff game where the quarterback uh, took, uh, before the snap, turned and walked down the line of scrimmage, but then kind of headed towards the bench and put his arms up. So it's a trick play, put his arms up, and then they snapped the ball to the running back and ran a play, and it was a significant play in the game, actually. And and that certainly was not within the spirit of the rules. And the crew did not call it unsportsmanlike conduct, but it certainly should have been. And again, it was clarified in this bulletin that that uh, that that play is is not within the rules and should have been penalized. Well, rightfully so, those should have been. By the way, the the uh, run by Kenny Pickett, who, by the way, is an outstanding quarterback and an excellent runner, that resulted in a 58-yard touchdown run. So uh, was, uh, right. uh, was it the okay. difference in the game? Maybe not, but certainly. And I think, uh, Tom, the other thing we're going to see is this, and, and this is why this is so important, and uh, this is why coaches, at least defensive coaches, will be fired up about this. They put these rules in to protect the quarterback. Okay, that's fine, but – the the other one is is when they're on the sideline, you know, if if a quarterback looks like he's running out of bounds, defensive players uh, pull up. We've seen in the past they do that, and then they stretch the ball out to get an extra yard, or they take another couple of steps. Tom, I got a feeling that's the next thing that's going to be addressed because bottom line is when you indicate that you're going to give yourself up or step out of bounds, that should end the play. And uh, I think de- defensive coaches are going to be on the warpath on this. Yeah, it's it's become now, uh, and, it, and it kind of trickles down from the NFL. It, 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 it is obvious now that quarterbacks, you know, trying to protect themselves uh, will go what we call east-west, which is toward the sideline. And while they are still in bounds, they're still eligible to be hit, but they are giving themselves up. And we have seen quarterbacks, like you just su- suggested, we've seen quarterbacks kind of go east-west towards the sideline and then at the last minute turn and go upfield or, like you say, stretch the ball out. And, you know, the defense is already, uh, you know, put at a disadvantage because they're letting up because they don't want to hit the quarterback and, and get a foul for a late hit out of bounds. So they are already uh, checking up their their attack on the on the runner, uh, which is the quarterback. And uh, you know, it it needs to be addressed. And I think it may be. I don't know exactly how 
the ruling would uh, would read, but I think that's something that needs to be addressed for sure. Well, and quite frankly, uh, and and I know I I take a different view of this, but quite frankly, you know, there should be a rule protecting the quarterback. There's no question about that. Targeting, hitting to the head, back corner in the pocket, you know. But bottom line is, when you pull that ball down and start running, you're a runner now, and you should have to abide by uh, what every other runner has to abide by. And, right. uh, you know, uh, that's, that's, but hey, that's not the way it is, but that sideline rule is, is one I think will be changed also. All right, Tom, uh, I always, uh, there, there's, there's a lot of good things that happen with when rules are changed and Tom, one of those, we had the targeting go, uh, that, uh, we put in several years ago now. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they've adjusted that now to where it's more fair. They don't make a player leave the sideline. Uh, they also have, uh, they have a review, a booth review on every one of those. Kind of interesting, though. I know a couple of years you told me that targeting had been reduced down to one targeting call. And this is, these are NCAA statistics. Uh, one targeting call every three games. Where do we stand now on that after this season? Right. Right. And, you know, the start of the season, we were about on track for one every three games. But by the end of the season, uh, Doug, we were at one targeting uh disqualification every five games. So, uh, again, I think that's uh, in part, that means the rule is working. The players are changing their behavior. Uh, The coaches are coaching uh, uh, appropriate tackle techniques. And uh, so I think, you know, the rule, and again, player safety is the major driver behind all changes. Uh, that's first on the list is, is player safety. And, uh, you know, there is talk, you and I have talked and Doug, and, and there is talk about making uh, a targeting uh, differentiation between uh, uh, egregious targetings and, and those that, you know, are technically targeting, but obviously not egregious. And so we would have two levels of targeting, targeting one and targeting two. Uh, There's a lot of proponents out there. I really wasn't one of those, but as I have seen uh, throughout the last couple of years, uh, there have been times when players have been disqualified uh, and there is really no, and again, we can't judge intent. We only judge the action, but it's obvious that the player probably wasn't intending to hit uh, a receiver or a runner with the crown of his helmet. And, uh, and therefore maybe we put in a targeting one where we penalize the player uh, and keep him in the game. And if he has a second targeting one, then we would disqualify him, but we would still have a targeting two where there are egregious targetings that that I think everybody would agree we want we want that kind of action out of the game and therefore we would eject on the or disqualify on the first uh the first targeting if it is egregious well I hope we can get there because I think most most people would agree that just uh, as a fan you watch it and you say you know that 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 guy didn't intend to do that. One thing on t- uh, Tom, I'm just I'm just surmising on this, and kind of anecdotal evidence on this. But one of the reasons why it's gone from one uh, disqualification every three games to five is probably cause because net of the booth review where they overturned the uh, kicking out of the game. Correct? 
Right. Uh, yeah, that's part of it. Uh, certainly, because uh, before the rule change where the uh, replay booth uh, weighed in on all aspects of the targeting, and again, there, there are several aspects that they look at to make sure that, uh, that they're ruling to disqualify a player is, uh, is warranted. The, uh, you know, before that, the, uh, the call on the field of targeting was assumed to be correct, and you had to have, you know, conclusive evidence to overturn it. Well, that's no longer the case now. Now, uh, the, the replay booth reevaluates and officiates that play from the very beginning, and all aspects of targeting have to be confirmed before that player is disqualified. Tom, as always, great stuff. Uh, we got a lot more to talk about in uh, in future shows. Uh, maybe some of the other rule changes are coming down the pipe, but uh, all, all right. this is good stuff, my friend. Thanks so much. Hey, Doug, before we get off, I'd just like to say uh, with the tornadoes last night, we had some SEC and OVC officials affected by that that live in the state of Kentucky. So not only for them, but for all the residents that were affected uh we need to uh, keep them all in our prayers. Boy, good stuff. I'm glad you mentioned that. It was uh, kind of hit hit some areas that have been hit in the past. And that's uh, right. Uh, it's uh, I grew up uh, I grew up in an Oklahoma where this they were all over the place out there. But boy, it's 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 destructive stuff. And there's no not a whole heck of a lot you can do about it, quite frankly. But you're right. Prayers prayers for those folks. Tom, thanks so much. You're welcome. Kevin Steele, when we come back, star physical therapy before we go to break. 67 locations, they all right here in Middle Tennessee to help you. And if you have pain, and boy, I think all of us, I'll just speak for me, I've had pain. You want to get rid of it quickly. That's what star physical therapy does. Their facilities, of course, as I mentioned, 67 of them, they have many, a myriad of ways to get there. Number one, because of COVID, well, there's some things that have come about now that can help a lot. Telerehab's one of those. If you can't safely leave your home for whatever reason, or you don't want to leave your home, Telerehab can help care for patients at STAR. Also, uh, you don't have to have they have direct access where they can see most of their patients even if they don't have a prescription from a f- physician. If you're having a hard time getting to your doctor, as we know sometimes happens, they in all likelihood can see you. They screen all their patients and the staff to, to make sure it's a healthy environment. They've been around a long, long time. Again, 67 locations. Check them all out at star, S-T-A-R-P-T dot com. And remember, it's your health. It's Star's Clean Hands, Chew Star. Kevin Steele joins us. You know, folks, uh, when you're coaching, I spent 20 years in it. Kevin spent many more than that. You know, you you always you don't get to go see other games. You know, and that's one of the fun one of, one of the great things about college football as a fan is you can go take in the whole experience on that. And Kevin, one of those I know we all had bucket lists. Hey, boy, when I get out of this game. Uh, I'm going to go see these, these, these games, you know, for me, it was always, I wanted to see, I grew up in Oklahoma. I wanted to see an Oklahoma, Texas game. Uh, but I think every coach up there always wanted to go see an army Navy game. I know that's on your bucket list and they're playing it today. It is coach, uh, army Navy game at, uh, you know, it just, we grew up with it 122. This is the 122nd meeting. And, uh, 
you know, it, it's that's a special group of men playing today. Uh, they they have something on their plate that, that most of us don't understand. You know, Kevin, when you were uh, when you were at the, at Tennessee, I know we played at coaching. We we played Army a couple of times there, and I'll never forget Coach Majors. You know, you always you try to work up some reason to dislike the team you're playing. Now, if it's a you know if it's a if it's a rival game, pretty easy, I think, for Auburn to not dislike for to dislike Alabama and vice versa on that. But I know Coach Majors would always say, you know, the tough thing about playing Army is. It's hard. It's hard to dislike them. You know, you can't really talk bad about about them on that. But I know this: the these two these two academies respect each other. But boy, there's a lot of dislike when it comes to this ball game. Well, I, I think the command, uh, the commandants of the school, said it best this morning, Coach. When uh, I heard one of them say that, uh, you know, their their partners, their teammates, they they run out of the same pl- playbook uh, year round, except for about three hours. Uh, and then they're mortal enemies. So they probably can't say it much better than that. MetLife Stadium, East Rutherford, New Jersey, eight and three Army, three and eight Navy. Uh, Army's got a chance here to to post his third ten win season in five years. That's 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 it. And listen for for uh, for the restrictions that the academies have on on who comes to an academy. Believe me. It's important to play football there, but it ain't near the most important thing as most would expect. Army's won four of the last five games. That's changed a little bit, Kevin. Uh, the uh, Navy had a long win streak there. What's what's been the mid the main change there that you've seen over the years? Well, you know, Ken was in there. They had a fourteen game win streak going, and then now Todd Monken has come in and and kind of rejuvenated things and. Uh, they're they've won four of the last five. It's pretty even series, coach. I think it's like sixty. They played one hundred twenty-two times. It's the low sixties to the mid fifties is what the split is. Um, so it, it's it kind of tells you that it doesn't matter what the records are. They go out to win. I will say this: Navy's three and eight, Army's eight and three. But Navy has played almost every team. I think there's only a couple of teams they played that's not going to a bowl game. So they played a really tough schedule. It's going. It, it's it's Army Navy. Anything can happen. Big ball game up there, and of course, I, I like the fact. I don't know who decided to do this, but uh, the last I don't, I don't know what four or five, maybe even longer that years they play this game after the conference championship games. It's a standalone ball game, and I tell you, every everybody that I know that that, that likes football at, at all will be watching this. That's a two o'clock CBS game uh, on that. Uh, you know both these head coaches. Do you think this is going to be uh, the Navy coach's uh, last game? I, I'm not sure of that there's been some indication of that. I, I'm not sure he's 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 married to Navy now. It's it, ironically for him not being a, a, a midshipman didn't wasn't in the service. Uh, you know, Ken he loves the Naval Academy, and so I'm I'm not sure of that. Well, he's had some opportunities to leave and take really top jobs, and has turned them down over the years. He's been there what right at twenty years? Is that about right? Uh. Yes, he has, and assisted as a head coach. He's got a unique thing, too, Coach, uh, because of his faith. He's one of the few. I don't know another coach. Uh, you know, you play on Saturday, you practice on Monday, so you clean up the game on Sunday afternoon, work on Sunday night. He still, because of his faith, does not allow anybody in the office on Sundays. Interesting. So, you know, uh Guy we have on the show here, and you know well, Todd Berry, who's the uh, now the head of the American Football Coach Association, was a coach up at the 
uh, was I think four years the head coach at the, at Army, and uh, <laughs> you know talking with him, you, you I guess we realize it, but you don't realize it. The time that they have with these young men to actually do football is is significantly smaller than what well all other football programs have. They they don't have them a whole lot. They got other things that they're concentrating on other than playing football up there. Absolutely, they get minimal time with them. Uh, but I will say this, uh, because of the training and the type, the type person that they're, they're getting there and they're driven. I mean, you know, most players you get, they're, they're coming to go to school, enjoy themselves, but they have NFL in the picture for most of the teams that we talk about every week, they're thinking about going to the next level. Well, these guys, that's not, they're thinking about when they graduate, somebody's going to hand, hand them a weapon and send them overseas. And, and, for, you know, since, 9-11, which has been 20 years this year, uh, every one of those graduates, there was a war to fight. Yeah, I tell you, it, it, it's, uh, it, it, it's really something special to watch, and I know a lot of people will be watching it. All right, Kevin, uh, I want to hit this in this context. Well, I want to talk about the last week's SEC championship game, uh, kind of what happened on there, and then I, w- I want to lead into that with, with this. Uh, there is some talk, again, it's it's fan talk and people like me and you just talking after last week's game, Kirby smart, does he have a decision to make on the quarterback situation? Uh, but first talk about the ball game. Uh, I, I, I said earlier in the show, the most impressive thing about that whole game to me was the way that Alabama's offensive line blocked and protected, uh, pro- protected, uh, well, probably the Heisman Trophy winner sitting behind there this year. We'll see here in another week or so. But kind of talk about that, and then tell me what's going through, uh, what do you think go, is going through Kirby Smart's mind now as he knows that uh, he he w- might have another opportunity to play Alabama again. Uh, he knows what happened last time. Walk us through that and what you think. You know Kirby really well. What, what do you think? Right. Well, you know, obviously – we talked about last week's game and then leading up to that was you, you go in that game and everybody, everybody out there in terms of that don't do it for a living probably said without watching video and comparing matchups and those kind of things would have said, Hey, you know, Georgia, this is their year. This is it. Greatest, greatest team probably in this decade. And, and so, uh, uh, he, you know, what happened was Auburn and Alabama kind of helped that because they had seven sacks. They gave up seven sacks against Auburn. And so then you're thinking about that vaulted Georgia defense. So it comes in, Alabama clearly cleans up their pass protection and Bryce Young has a Heisman like day. And I, and I don't throw that out there lightly. I mean, the guys are very talented guy that can throw in small windows and, and they decisively beat them. And so everybody then starts talking about, well, they have Bryce Young. We had Stetson Bennett, and I know Stetson. Uh, known him since he was in the tenth grade. He's he's a competitor. He's he's athletic. He has a lot of skill. He's a small guy, uh, but uh, he he did walk on there, earn a scholarship, and and so now the talk is: Are you going to change the quarterback? Well, I'll promise you this: This is not something new. It's been going on for two years, and knowing Kirby the way I know him. Uh, and, and their staff is that they've had these two quarterbacks in this situation for two years. This is not something that they're just going to say, oh, this happened now, we got to make a change. They, they've they done that every week since based on the health of the two players, 
based on who was available, who practiced the most, who practiced best, what gave them the best chance to win. And it's, yeah, I think they're still going to be doing that, but I think they've been doing it for two years, uh, which is difficult. And at the end of the day, Kirby's a smart guy. He's at practice. It's his football team. There's no reason to think that he's not going to make the best decision that gives them the best chance to win and whatever that is. Well, and that star has got to be Michigan first, right? It does. It does. And and that's a handful in itself too now, coach. That uh that Michigan team is uh they're they're maybe not as flashy as uh as some of the other teams in the country, but uh they're they're putting up good numbers, they play sound defense, they're innovative on offense, they've got talented players. Um uh, it'll be interesting the speed of the game in terms of when I say the speed of the game, not the tempo of it, but the speed of the athletes on the field. Uh, some people think there's some speed dis- discrepancies there. I haven't watched Michigan, en- Michigan enough to know. Well, I'm with you on that. Here, here's the other thing, too, though, Kevin, that that really is huge in this ball game. Uh, you got two programs that are hungry. I mean, really hungry for, for maybe a little bit different reasons, but you know, Michigan been trying ever since Coach Harbaugh's been there. We, you know, can't. You know, what's what's the old saying? You can't beat Ohio State. You can't beat Michigan State. You can't beat, you know, can't win the big ball game. Got not 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 the exact same situation, but same at Alabama. You've been there. You you can't you can't beat Alabama. Uh, him at Georgia, excuse me. These are two teams that are really, really hungry. I think this is going to be a great physical, tough football game. I think it's going, they're going to be some little bit of old school in this one. I think coach, I think you're exactly right. Uh, this game is a line of scrimmage game, uh, which both of those teams are, that's what they've lived on this whole year. Two coaches that, uh, play physical football, uh, as, and, uh, kind of interesting, Kevin, you don't see this a whole lot anymore Two uh, head football coaches that are, that are graduates and former players at the universities they represent. And that means a lot too. No, it, uh, it, you don't see uh, two coaches coaching at, at, at a place where they played. Uh, of course you don't see coaches staying at, at uh, Oklahoma like in, in Notre Dame. I mean, it moves around so much. I don't know how we're going to keep up with who's who now. All right. Got just a couple of minutes here left. Uh, hit, hit, hit. I, I want to get your opinion on this cause you know him real well. I think even people who are not in coaching, and who do not follow coaching, there's there's several programs around the country, Nebraska being one, Tennessee being one, Penn State was in that category, Florida State now, but Miami's the other one. Kevin, you know Mario Cristobal exceptionally well. Tell us what he brings to Miami and why you think that's such a great hire for Miami. Well, number one, born and bred there. I work with Mario. Uh, uh, we're friends. Uh, we communicate uh uh, yearly uh, around the around the year so I, I know him really well uh he he's born bred miami played at miami uh was a starter on two national championships teams he's he's he loves miami and not just the city of miami uh, the university of miami uh, it, it it was probably i know what kind of person he is too he's very very loyal and it killed him to have to, to leave Oregon and leave those players he recruited, but it was home. Now, what he brings, uh, Coach, we've talked about this before, about relentless recruiters and guys that are just the tenacity of recruiting, you know, Coach Saban, Kirby, that type of guy. 
Uh, I've never worked, and I've worked with some great recruiters, some great recruiters. I've never worked with a guy that works at recruiting as hard as Mario Cristobal does. It's every day. It's, it's, it's more than a hobby for him. And he's really good at it, but he does it every day. And it's just, it, it's, it's amazing to watch him. So, you know, with the talent they have in South Florida, with his, uh, with his, you know, he's, he's married to Miami. They kind of opened up the gates and said, Hey, here it is. Do what you got to do. Uh, this is going to be real interesting. Last question, 30 seconds. Surprising to you that he left Oregon pretty good situation up there with Phil Knight. It, it killed him to leave there, coach. And people don't understand that. They think he just did it because that was that was not an open and closed deal. And it was the University of Miami, his school. He loved it. It killed him to have to leave my, uh, Oregon and those players he recruited. But uh, the call home was just too great. Coach Kevin Steele, one of the best. Pretty good recruiter in his own right, by the way. Kevin, talk to you next week. Appreciate it, coach. All right. See you then. Thanks. Quick break. We got a few minutes, maybe when I get back, let's uh, just talk real quickly about global motorsports. You know, uh, been talking about them a long time. They've been around a long time, but they've kind of changed a little bit. Now they still have, and still all will always have as always the luxury import automobiles pre-owned, but they've added a couple of things. They're now the global motorsports performance center. One of the things they've added is a brand new state of the art auto storage facility that, Features the concierge service, 24-hour surveillance. Stop by and see it if you're interested. And they also have a new service facility. I took advantage of this a couple of weeks ago, featuring a team of five-star talent that's highly skilled and highly experienced in servicing Land Rovers, Jaguars, BMWs, Porsches, Mercedes, those pre-owned, as I mentioned, luxury automobiles. And you know what? You don't have to wait for months or even weeks to stop by and see them, they can get you right in. 615-353-8999, or hey, do what I do. I don't I don't pay attention to phone numbers anymore. I Google, and you can Google Global Motorsports Performance Center. Final thought here as we uh, finish up another show. By the way, Big Orange Sunday tomorrow, as you just heard, uh, 8 o'clock right here on 104.5 The Zone. Heisman Trophy uh, winner uh, uh, will be selected tonight. Kind of this always kind of interested me. You know, for all the great uh, teams that Bear Bryant had, what six national championships? Alabama had seven national championships, and then they'd never had a Heisman Trophy winner until 13 years ago. Mark Ingram was the very first in 2009. Aiden uh, Hutchison, uh, defensive end from Michigan. C.J. Stroud, quarterback at Ohio State. Kenny Pickett, quarterback Pittsburgh, and Bryce Young, they're the four finalists. Bryce Young is a prohibitive favorite. Kind of interesting, all those years, all those great teams, didn't he really have many of that were ever finalists? They now have an opportunity and probably will have four in the last 13 years. As I mentioned, Mark Ingram, Derrick Henry, Devontae Smith, of course, the other three on that. Kind of interesting. Hey, thanks for being part of the show today. As always, Tony Barnhart, Charles Davis, Tom Ritter, Kevin Steele, great job. Thanks to Ryan Albanese for producing the show. And if you're a Tennessee fan, I'll see you tomorrow morning. If not, we'll see you next Saturday right here for Forklift Systems Football Saturday. 
Get an inside look at Hollywood with Michael Rosenbaum. Let's get inside of my buddy, Kumal Nanjiani. When you talk about Eternals and it wasn't the response that you were hoping, how did that affect you? Marvel thought that we'd be going on a wave of raves, you know, and it wasn't true. The reviews were really bad. And you were aware of it while you were on tour? Yeah, I was too aware of it. And so very intentionally, I did start counseling. Emily says that I do have trauma from it. Inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen.